What's up, everybody? How's it going in the internet wrestling community and all over the world wide webs? It is me. It is me. The big old Stevie C, Steve Castellanoble here with another late edition of the Heel and Face podcast, a podcast dedicated to news, information, and commentary on the world of professional wrestling. And um, if you're wondering where I've been the last half hour, well, I just woke up. So the fun thing about podcasting is that even though you should try to keep a consistent level of when you're on and quality and all that stuff, uh, the fun part about it is eh, you can still just kind of go on whenever you want. I definitely wanted to get on to talk to you about the things that are going on in the world of professional wrestling today. I'm a little behind on some things, and then I'm right on time for a couple of things. And then we'll be talking about um, a wrestling icon that has recently passed away three days ago. So I'm in the mix of everything that's going on in the wrestling world. And it's okay. It's going to be fine because guess what? You're here with me as well. So thanks for joining me on the Heel and Face podcast brought to you by Heel Turn Wrestling. Let me say... It's good to be here with you today. We are less than a week away from Extreme Rules, another Saturday pay-per-view that WWE is testing out. I don't know if they're trying to get empirical data on whether or not it's better to have pay-per-views on Saturdays than on Sundays. Of course, they're also fighting the return of the NFL and other sports that are going to be revving up here soon. For those of you like... Kevin Owens, who don't know about any other sport than pro wrestling, the other two major sports, uh, promotion sports leagues, are starting up this week. They have training camps in both basketball and NHL hockey. And right now, the baseball season is even winding down. There's some pretty good matchups, pretty good games, including my Cleveland Guardians, the Guardians, The winning tradition that is Cleveland Guardians baseball, go Gardos, it's fantastic. So there's a lot going on, and I'm not sure if Triple H is trying to counter-program any of that or not remains to be seen. We'll just tell you about it when it happens. So, But I am behind on some things. I know, I know, I am. I'm behind on some things. And admittedly, one of the things that I'm uh, behind on is NWA 74. So let's just get right to it, right? Let's just rip the Band-Aid off, so to speak. And let's go back in time and talk about something that you guys have already talked about, which is probably the best match out of NWA 74. And that was the women's match for the NWA Women's Championship as Max the Impaler, whose star is rising meteorically amongst wrestling circles versus Camille. And I have not caught up with the rest of NWA 74 yet. Looks like I might just try to get it. I saw this match just because they highlighted it and yes, I said highlight. They highlight it on the recent episode of NWA USA. So, and I'm so glad they did because now I may actually want to go back 
and watch the whole pay-per-view. But I just want to talk briefly on how good this match was. And if you missed it, Max the Impaler won the right to face Camille at NWA 74 by winning the Mildred Burke Invitational. So by winning that cup, which I'm sure she holds, or I'm sorry, they hold in high esteem. They parlayed that into their number one contender title shot against Camille. And I try not to be hyperbolic when it isn't necessary. And I try not to put things, because I know there's a lot of hype in professional wrestling. And I know there's a lot of, um, I don't know, um, overblown opinions about professional wrestling, especially about wrestlers. And, you know, we want to give match of the year candidates to everything from, uh, you know, five minute spot fests to uh, 25 minute, um, I don't know what's, but I definitely want this match to be in consideration for match of the year. It was very easy to get lost in this match, especially uh, how intriguing the matchup is. Camille at this point has not had a challenger that was as physically, even more physically dominating than she might be. And Camille is pretty used to throwing people around, throwing uh, her uh, female competition around, especially uh, when she is now enjoying a 400-plus day reign as NWA Women's Champion. And Max the Impaler is on quite a roll. They have been focused on in a lot of different promotions, including here locally, She's been here, or they've been here a couple of different times. I wanted to see them up close and personal before I could, you know, make any more judgments on them. But there's still plenty of time, right? And they even posted on their Facebook page or Instagram page about all the appearances they'll be making, including, and they even stooged themselves off by saying, they may be back in Columbus on Raw, the holiday Raw, right after Christmas Day. So that's going to be amazing to see, you know, their meteoric rise. And it was a straight-up brawl. It was a straight-up wrestling match, old-school NWA wrestling match of two people that are evenly matched and don't like each other and went after it. And it was amazing. Uh started off a little slow and I know I like slow buildups. I get it. I've always been saying that the wrestling matches should follow a specific pattern most of the time. And I don't know if chain wrestling was either one of these wrestlers strong suits, but um, they still put on a very good performance. Camille was doing things that she has never done, or at least hasn't done at that point. She was throwing missile drop kicks and cross body blocks to get Maxine Paler off their feet. It worked after stunning Max and getting Max in a compromised position. Took a while, though, because Max pretty much dominated uh, the beginning of the match, uh, even uh, putting Camille in the surfboard stomp, which... I still, I even kind of cringe. I mean, I cringe when anybody does it anymore. 
but uh, especially with uh, them doing it, it was a little, little vicious. The match itself just was so tremendous in it accentuated the strengths of both wrestlers without making either wrestler look weak. They looked amazing. It was a struggle. Camille was actually struggling. She was playing a role she didn't really play as much, the uh, underneath babyface. Like the underdog babyface, it's not her style, right? Because she's always been athletic. She's always been the strongest. She's always been the top athlete in NWA, at least this run that she's been in. And to face somebody like Max the Impaler was definitely a fun challenge that, you know, brought out the best in her as far as uh, even using some of her power moves and at even uh, putting Max the Impaler in the torture rack bomb was pretty was not pretty impressive it was extremely impressive and almost beating max that way just was just amazing so uh the only criticism that i had of this match is that the outside interference you know with uh my pal Sal, who I enjoy, and though, and Gibby and Father James Mitchell, the sinister minister. Camille having to expend the energy to spear Sal and then get back in the ring and, and defeat Max. I don't know. It just, I know it's supposed to add the drama, and I get it. That's what wrestling is, right? You, you It's these beats, it's these notes, it's this incremental do this then this the book climb up and then that makes the the win more enjoyable but it just felt dumb that she had to take everybody on by herself maybe if she even had like a friend out there to get rid of them to be the equalizer of the three of them that would have been you know that 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 would have been or should have been how it went but I guess part of Camille's appeal is that she doesn't back down from anybody. She doesn't really have friends. She's on her own anyway. And there it was. So all in all, though, I mean, that's my only nitpicky little criticism of it because the rest of the match was complete fire. It was awesome. And you should check it out. Cheap, unsolicited plug. You should check out NWA USA, especially um, and N- I'm sorry, not NWUSA, my fault. It was NWA Power because it was uh, an NWA Power Surge with the uh, new NWA Women's Tag Champions, uh, Pretty Empowered. So check out NWA Power. Definitely check out NWA in general because, once again, they are hidden gems that not a lot of people I don't think a lot of people are talking about the NWA and you should be because uh, it is completely underrated. And if you can, by the way, if you want to comment below what your thoughts were on uh, that match or on any of the action that happened this week, please feel free to comment below in the comment section of the Heal and Face podcast section. Or you can uh, comment on the heel turn wrestling side. But either way, I will look at your comments. I'll probably check them out live while I'm going. 
if you're on the heel and face side and if you're on the heel turn wrestling side, I'll uh, check out your comments throughout the, the week. So you can follow me, by the way, on all my social media at Heel and Face Podcast. Just go wherever your favorite social media platform is. Doesn't have to be Facebook, even though I love being here. I love my time on Facebook. Facebook is awesome, and I'm uh, getting lots of of, uh, of you guys liking and sharing the page, and I really do appreciate that. Especially my international audience, love you very much, and I appreciate you to taking the time to listen and watch the show. And of course, you can check me out not just on my podcast social media platforms, but you can catch the audio of this show on all your favorite audio podcast streaming services. So check me out wherever I am. I'm all over, Daddy. I'm nationwide. And I talk a lot on social media. Not enough, though. Not too much, but because I have a lot going on. But when I do get the chance to talk about wrestling, I love to do it on my social media platforms. However, for some people, I'm not 100% sure that social media is for them because it just makes things more confusing and more troublesome. And if you have an opinion on this, definitely hit me up on here or on Twitter where I'm generally a little meaner, I must say, but be that as it may. Someone who is on social media probably a little too much these days is uh, whoever you want to call him, Tommy End, you want to call him Malachi Black, you want to call him Alistair Black, I don't know if it matters, but what matters is his mental health, which I don't want to take anything lightly, and I want to take this uh, you know, any anything um, less serious, you know, but uh, I know that if you are interested in your mental health, social media is probably not the place to be, but seeing as though here we are, Malachi Black felt like he had to address uh, the rumors as to his involvement with AEW anymore, and I find it a little weird and curious because, and this is why I don't report rumors, and I'm being very clear that this is a rumor. This is nothing I know of, and I'm not doing all that much investigation on this because in the end it's going to happen how it happens because people are so polarized as to what may happen that um, we're not 100% like sure on anything. So Malachi Black has been, I don't want to say obtuse, but he hasn't exactly been able to say what he wants to say on social media. But the only thing we do know is that he is supposedly taking a break from pro wrestling and he is going to take a mental health break, which is completely fair. And in this day and age, we're more aware and more sensitive to this stuff. But he says that he's not leaving professional wrestling. He's just taking a break to reassess, to refocus, to refresh and kind of contemplate where his career is going next. And that's not 
ambiguous enough, save for the fact that the rumors are flying that this is all a ploy for Malachi Black to want to go back to WWE and be treated like an absolute uh, star a la Cody Rhodes by Triple H. Just like last week when I talked about Bobby Fish being the mole a la Ted Gordon in ECW, I really do find this really hard to believe. And not because I'm a WWE honk or that I believe 100% in WWE, but I don't think anyone in this day and age would make light of anybody's mental health issues, especially their own. And I find it very extremely hard to believe that someone would use their platform as an opportunity to use their quote-unquote mental health issues just to get out of a contract to go to somebody else. It's a very slippery slope where you're taking a very serious issue like mental health and you're kind of leveraging that against one boss just so you can work for another. I understand that Tommy End is closing in on 40 and I understand that he still has a lot to do. He's got a lot of potential. His whole vibe has potential. That's why Triple H wanted him in the first place. And that's why Tony Khan uh, didn't even think twice about cutting a check for him. But I'm not 100% sure that that's what Malachi Black's aim is. If he wants to take some time off from professional wrestling to reassess whether or not professional wrestling is good for him, then he has every right to do that. And knowing that the grass wasn't always greener on the other side and that the fact that Tony Khan is running his own company into the ground, with the weird stop-start direction that Malachi Black and the House of Black is taking right now, it doesn't makes sense not to want to question where his character is going or if as Dolph Ziggler once famously said pro wrestling loves him back in the same way that he loves it so it seems like in Malachi Black's other promos and other things that he's saying like he wrestled at Prestige and that's where he cut that famous promo about he's not going anywhere he's just He'll just see you later. I don't know if he's leaving AEW. I think, however, there's got to be huge overtures made toward him and the House of Black. And this is where they need somebody like an agent like Pat Buck or or Jake the Snake Roberts. God forbid someone in the back there who's in catering, who's actually done this for a while can turn this whole thing around. The biggest joke, you know, in AEW right now is that most of their heel factions have this creepy uh, occult vibe. Like, they're all evil, like, super evil. You've got the Death Triangle, and God knows what's going on there with them, and they're just making up belts for them to have. And, you know... I don't know what he's even calling himself anymore. Penta, Zero, Miero, whatever he's calling himself. And Pac, you know, they're this like dark, brooding, cult-loving faction of evil. 
And then you turn around and you have the House of Black, which is a occult-loving, dark, moody, evil heel faction. So I don't know what needs to be done to change Malachi Black up a little bit or freshen him up or differentiate himself. Because the only other dark occult faction in AEW are these wannabe goofs, friends of the Bucks, who just sit and eat catering and make funny videos. They don't really do anything. They're just they just sit there with masks on. Like they don't really don't do anything. So they need someone in the back, a veteran, someone who's done this before, to just take this whole mess of the Death Triangle plus the House of Black plus Dark Order and just restructure it and just make it a thing and make it stronger and make it, you know, like a dark NWO where there's just a bunch of dudes. And, and honestly, you know, I don't want to get too far off my topic here, but, you know, basically just fire two thirds of the Dark Order and just consolidate everything. And Malachi Black should be the leader in kind of like a twist of Dark Order, um, you know, make, maybe make it grow, you know, even give them the idea about trimming the trimming the branches so the tree can grow stronger. Some metaphor like that. I don't know. Whatever. But I don't know. I don't know. I wish him the best. I hope he figures it out. I don't want to see him back in WWE because honestly, I think his ship has kind of sailed. If he does come back, I'll welcome him back just like all the other guys that have come back. And hopefully he can have a, a great career in pro wrestling. And he doesn't sound like he's leaving the, 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 the United States anytime soon either. So we will see what happens. I know there was also rumors that just then this just popped up. This just popped up is that Malachi Black will actually be part of Bray Wyatt, or it actually was Bray Wyatt. You see the vignettes of the white rabbit floating around and the rumor was black was going to end up being the white rabbit kind of as a switch or as a, as a swerve against people who've been speculating the last two months that Bray Wyatt was the white rabbit in one of the promos. They did feature some of Alistair Black's former quotes that some people just kind of are connecting the dots. You know, I've seen so many silly things connected the dots of the white rabbit. I'm glad the buzz is happening. And I think that a lot of people are into it. I think way too into it. Just trying to figure out who it is just so you can be the one to say, ha I figured it out. Well, you know what? The beauty of this is just wait and see. Maybe it is Bray Wyatt. Maybe it's totally different person altogether between him and Aleister Black. Who knows? Um, but if they really restructured Aleister Black's contract and gave him creative control and worked with him and worked with a couple of veterans to turn this whole mess around to produce the House of Black is to be something to be feared. I think it could work in AEW, but I don't trust AEW right now. So we'll see what happens with Malachi Black. I just want him to take a break. If that's what he needs, he should take a break. He should be there. He should help his ailing wife who's still injured. He should uh, reassess his own mental health. And honestly, he should definitely think about whether or not pro wrestling is treating him as well as as he treats it. So we shall see on that front. And, then, and I was really vague. Because he's been vague, so I'm being vague. 
because I'm only getting the information that I get, which is from the horse's mouth. All right, well, uh, the last bit of news for this segment before we get into the final segment of the show today is something that came out completely out of left field. It is uh, just, I don't know how it happened like this, and yet here we are. So this this kind of just happened, and this is fallout from Raw and obviously the ongoing saga between the original bro, the king of bros, Matt Riddle, who has his name back, versus Seth freaking Rollins. And no better place to have this, but they have agreed to a fight pit match. If you remember from NXT, the fight pit match with another guy they that got screwed over, um, uh, what's his name, uh, Tommy... I want to call him his real name for some the real last name. I don't want to kayfabe his name, but uh, Tommy Thatcher. That's it. Tommy Thatcher and uh, Champ, I believe, was that fight pit match. Well, they're bringing the fight pit back, baby, because the WWE does a great job of storing stuff in their warehouse. Heck, they still have the Punjabi death cage match cage somewhere safely, I'm sure. They don't get rid of anything that's good, but they've brought a new element in, which should be really interesting. This is going to be fantastic. This is going to be interesting as for the first time in WWE history, we will see DC Daniel Cormier as the special guest referee for the fight pit at Extreme Rules next Saturday. No, that is not dream booking no that is not a typo ariel hawani got to break this over the weekend and if you know if ariel hawani is breaking it you know it's true i'm a little shocked myself but daniel cormier will be making his debut in wwe as the special guest referee between the king of bros matt riddle and seth freaking Rollins um wow like Triple H is you know pulling out rabbits out of hats everywhere this would have obviously never happened with Vince but on another level too Vince has or uh, Triple H has always tried to you know pick out what's hot, pick out what people are interested in, try to get, he's always thinking about that buzz, getting that buzz, getting that buzz. And to get a legitimate buzz from a legit dude, Daniel Cormier is a legit dude. We talk about him a lot on the show. I'm a huge fan of his, so this is going to be dope. We've always wondered, there were, other than Brock, well, because Brock left WWE, went to UFC. Other, other than, you know, maybe a few dudes uh, there have been probably a small handful of UFC fighters that would have been perfect for WWE. And I'm going to talk about Conor McGregor because screw that guy. Um, he get washed in the WWE. But um, some some wrestlers that I thought would, would have been fantastic. Obviously, Chael Sonnen would have been an amazing pro wrestler. I know there was rumors that he was 
going to start training at some point with WWE, but he's what in his fifties now. So he's a little too old for that. Um, he could go to AEW. If, if you're a 50 year old, former MMA fighter, um, you can go to AEW. I'll sign you in a minute. Um, and I know, uh, what's his name? Oh, Colby Covington talks a lot, but right now he's pretty toxic being a QAnon Trump supporter and all. But another guy, oh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Sean O'Malley uh, would be a really good wrestler uh, in WWE. He'd have to put on a little bit of weight, but dude is hilarious. And then, of course, one of the guys who I always thought would have been a great WWE wrestler is, in fact, Daniel Cormier. So it makes sense that he's here now. Of course, Cormier himself is also a little old, too. But, you know, who knows? I mean, it's it's wide open out there. Uh, this could be the door that finally opens Daniel Cormier for him to be involved in WWE, you know, which is really interesting because high school wrestling season is opening soon, and he does coach his high school wrestling team. And, of course, it's not like he's not leaving uh, UFC to, for commentary or anything. He's still going to be on commentary for much, much of the UFC uh, pay-per-views. So it's not like that. But I would be interested to see if he does have any time and he likes being involved in WWE. I wonder if there is a fledgling faction of former collegiate wrestlers who might be looking for a veteran to lead them. Hmm. Wonder who that might be. Hmm. 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 I don't know. But let's just say that signing DC to a long-term contract where he can hit whatever dates he wants might the WWE might be finding a diamond in the rough. Either way, DC is going to be part of WWE, and I'm here for it. Finally, he gets his due. Finally, uh, he gets time to shine in a place where he probably could have shined had uh, UFC not been a thing. And we'll see. Maybe this is the door. Maybe this is the transition. Maybe he gets into it with Seth Rollins. Maybe we end up seeing a match between him and Seth Rollins at a future pay-per-view or something. Who knows? Maybe this is the door to open up to DC if it is, let's freaking go. Well, I know Triple H uh, has his contacts in UFC, and even though he personally doesn't like violence for violence's sake, he does try to network and get out there and be at all the great fights, at all the great events, including UFC. And I'm sure he and Dana and White talk quite a bit about UFC, which is a thing that has only been popular within the last 20, 25 years or so. Uh, and it was very humble in its beginnings and didn't even really register. And a lot of people didn't even know what MMA was. And, you know, of course, it's very barbaric to some people. Um, former Senator... Um, from Arizona, um, his name escapes me right now. The the guy uh, he ran for uh, 
he ran for president a couple of times. McCain once called the UFC as human cockfighting. I know it got a bad rap, uh, but once all of the legal stuff was worked out and the product matured and grew, it became amazing. It became UFC. It became something mixed martial arts and combat sports really got a boost from, from UFC. The idea that fighters from different disciplines could test their strength, wrestler versus boxer, Muay Thai versus Vale Tudo, all of those exciting combinations and permutations came about because people just wanted to see who was the best. And I'm not talking about being inspired by Bloodsport or Lionheart or any random Jean-Claude Van Damme movie from the 1980s. I'm talking about someone who put it together, someone who gave us the idea, someone who gave us the sense to do it, sense to put it together. And this past weekend, the man who envisioned the sports community coming together where a boxer and a pro wrestler could fight to see who was better or that a uh, pro wrestler and a judo master could could fight each other to see who was better. A man whose influence on the sport of not just professional wrestling, but of sports in general, his uh, fan just overshadows all of global sports, recently left us on Friday passing away at the age of 79, believe it or not. But pro wrestling icon and legend Antonio Inoki passed away at the age of 79 due to natural causes last Friday. And it was pretty cool that they got a shout out even on WWE. Of course, he's a WWE Hall of Famer, so that makes sense to shout him out. But uh, the fact that, you know, Corey Graves even mentioned that Antonio Inoki was uh, a unrecognized WWE champion because of the uh, politics involved or whatever. But the fact that he recognized him was pretty cool anyway. And... I just want to close today's show. I didn't really take a break, but didn't really need to because I want to close the show talking about the legacy of Antonio Inoki and, of course, making him the superstar of the week. So Antonio Inoki, whose whose name uh, uh, is uh, – real name, Mohammed Hussein Inoki. And by the way, he was not born that way. He converted to Islam in 1990, probably after talking to one of his former opponents, Muhammad Ali, but also after visiting Baghdad and visiting Iraq and negotiating the release of Japanese journalists and tourists who were being held hostage by Saddam Hussein. He, from all reports, found a new appreciation for 
the Muslim faith, the Islam of, of Islam, and converted, but still remained a Buddhist as well. So before we get to all that, let's just run down who he was. And let's just talk about uh, his accomplishments as a professional wrestling icon. So 12-time New Japan IWGP heavyweight champion and the unrecognized WWE champion, of course. When he got into pro wrestling, he took under the took himself under the tutelage of Ricky Dozon, who was a, a, the only other wrestling legend worth anything in Japanese wrestling history. So he trained under the best, and Ricky Dozan, of course, wrestled all of the greats, uh, Frank Gotch, uh, Luthez, all of the greats, and Ricky Dozan wanted to kind of mesh his skills as a judo and a sumo player to see if he could beat this American style of wrestling. So that's kind of how uh, Japanese-style wrestling was influenced by not just the United States, but all over the world, catch as catch can and American strong style coming to Japan to test it against some of the great fighters in Japan. And then the, the Japanese people obviously took a liking to pro wrestling, mixed it with their culture. And now it became what we know today as Japanese strong style, but there's also two styles, by the way, not to get too technical. There's a uh, King of the road style where basically you uh, just see how much of a beating you can take and whether or not you can come back from it. And then there's Japanese strong style where you just basically you're shoot fighting. Either way, the development of Japanese pro wrestling took off after that. And Antonio Inoki learning under Ricky Dozan, who knew that the only way to bring Japan on the map as far as martial arts was going to be challenging other people, and that's exactly what Antonio Inoki did throughout his life. He didn't just stick with pro wrestling, and he could have, could very well have. Um, super athletic. He uh, played basketball. Um, he played cricket for a while, I believe. He could do pretty much anything uh, possible. Um, at some point in his life, uh, he had to emigrate back to Brazil, um, where his, uh, grandfather apparently, uh, was from, but his grandfather died on the voyage back and he learned, uh, how, you know, he learned martial arts there in Brazil following his favorite professional wrestler at the time, Antonio Roca, naming himself Antonio Inoki and in homage to that. Um, coming back to Japan, eventually he would wrestle with Japanese, um, uh, in the Japanese Wrestling Association, again, under Ricky Dozan until uh, Ricky Dozan's death. Then it would take him a while to depart from the JWA and form his own promotion, which 
he turned into the number two promotion in the world, New Japan Pro Wrestling. He took wrestling very seriously. He insisted that his wrestlers also take pro wrestling very seriously, take it as a serious sport, um, never let it get too Americanized as far as over the top with characters or a lot of storylines. He kept it in the ring as far as what was going on. Uh, you either could beat your opponent or you couldn't. And then, of course, the media scrums at the end, uh, treating professional wrestling just like any sport, just like baseball, just like any other sport. Uh, sumo in Japan, where you would interview uh, the fighters after their match, regardless. Teaming up with legend Giant Baba, he won uh, the tag belts multiple times. So there's a reason why Antonio Inoki is great. Part of it is he was uh, always around great people. He was always around great wrestlers, always learning things from other wrestlers and becoming a better wrestler in return. Um, when the rival factions and the fallout of uh, Japanese Wrestling Association kind of went away, uh, some of the people associated with that, some of his competitors formed All Japan Pro Wrestling, and then the Japanese wrestling wars really ramped up. To counterbalance that, he decided to come up with Strong Style uh, and Fighting Spirit. Again, two ideas that were, that were solely uh, built out of uh, his personality traits, what he liked to see in pro wrestling and what he personally was, uh, his personality permeates new Japan pro wrestling, uh, even at his dying days, even, even in his last appearance, it was a video message at Russell kingdom 16. Uh, so we all knew that his health wasn't great at that point, but, uh, the fact that he really pushed for a strong, tough minded style, totally sewed his own personality into his own promotion. But he was always looking for a challenge. He was always looking to better himself. He was always looking to prove that Japanese pro wrestling is among the greatest sports in all the entire world. And he would re routinely challenge others from other disciplines. Judo, sumo, you would see a lot of other karate, you would see a lot of other mixed martial arts coming to study with Anoki uh, in the New Japan Dojo to integrate more wrestling into their style. Of course, wanting to be an attraction and an exhibition, he wanted to expand his ideas globally. He didn't want to take New Japan as a small company only nestled inside one country. No, he wanted to think globally. So that's when he began his, uh, what he did, he did two things. One, went on tour and he would fight anybody. He would wrestle anybody. He would do exhibitions with other people, including his most famous one with the greatest boxer of all time, uh, boxing icon and social activist, Muhammad Ali. And, Another 
thread of Inoki's life is he's always been very civic-minded, forward-minded, globally-minded. He's always wanted to bring peace to the world, and he felt like that if he could get together with Muhammad Ali, not only could they have an exhibition and show off each other's skills, but they could also bring the world a little closer together, which is exactly what happened. And yes, there is uh, the fallout of that, of course. Uh, Muhammad Ali screaming, Anoki girl, Anoki no fights. But uh, again, uh, Antonio Anoki using his skills as a mixed martial artist and a pro wrestler, knowing he didn't want to get into a stand-up fight with a boxer. So he famously threw uh, leg kicks and sweeps to try to knock Muhammad Ali down. Muhammad Ali didn't have no idea what he was doing. So uh, he just kind of stayed strong and tried to throw as many punches as he could. Uh Antonio Noki threw a leaping head kick, which is now, as we pro wrestling know, is the enziguri, or I'm probably even pronouncing it incorrectly, and I apologize if I am, but he just tried to do anything to get Muhammad Ali off his feet and on the ground uh, in that in that fight. But they had since realized what they were doing. Of course, it was just for a show, as Muhammad Ali knows. Uh, he, would, he was doing it just for the exhibition, just to get eyes on the product, just to get attention, and then... Uh, they proved that people can actually get along and, we, you know, we can settle our differences and we're all humans. There's nothing holding us back, race or anything else. Uh, his one, one of Anoki's most famous opponents was a tiger, Jeet Singh. Um, and, you know, the battles that they had back and forth were uh, things of legend. Also, another thing that Anoki did to promote world peace is tried to bring as many internationally famous pro wrestlers to Japan to wrestle him as possible. Andre the Giant, famous uh, epic bouts with Antonio Anoki. Hulk Hogan, believe it or not, his best wrestling kids. I know Hulk Hogan is not on anybody's Christmas card list anymore, and I understand that Hulk Hogan is a racist jerk. But if you go back into the late 70s, early 80s, before he became Hulk Hogan, uh, Terry Bollea or the A-Bomb or whatever he was called in New Japan Pro Wrestling actually wrestled and he did a great job, um, actually had wrestling moves. So it's really weird to see a young Hulk Hogan, who, by the way, is still, I mean, even when he wasn't on steroids and jacked to the gills, he was still 6'4 and 260, 270. So Hulk Hogan, even in his uh, Japanese wrestling days, uh, still looked like a beast, and he could wrestle. And Anoki gave him the business for sure. Anoki's matches with uh, the Sheik, or I'm sorry, with uh, the Iron Sheik. Uh, Anoki's matches with with flair with you name it he has invited and wrestled pretty much any big name in professional wrestling in japan and had a barn burner of a match with him of course as i alluded to earlier the famous run with the wwf title the unrecognized championship uh when he faced bob backlund and beat bob backlund in japan although the wwf WF did not recognize that title exchange. Uh, he uh, did hold the belt for quite some time. Uh, 
you know, claiming that he was, in fact, the champion, the WWF champion, which I didn't even mention. And in doing the research on Antonio Inoki, um, found out, and something I didn't know, I learned every day, that the WWE has a world... Uh, what do they put a, a world combat championship that I don't know why it's not a thing anymore. So Triple H, you already shouted him out. You're already getting DC involved. Can we please bring back the WWE world combat Championship, please, 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 begging you, in honor of Antonio Inoki, bring it back, bro. We need to, we need to bring that belt back. I know what you guys are saying. Oh, it's just another belt. No, it wouldn't be just another belt. We'd have had a reason for Raw Underground if we'd have brought that belt back. So anyway, I don't want to get off topic. I just want to focus on the legend that is Antonio Inoki. So yes, and then of course the lowlights of his career was being involved in that awful mess in the Democratic Republic of North Korea uh, and putting that together. And although they didn't mess with him that much at all, um, they certainly screwed with the uh, American wrestlers there for sure. But again, Anoki didn't just stop being a, a an icon in pro wrestling or putting pro wrestling on the map, especially in Japan, but he also parlayed his enormous popularity into uh, politics where he went uh, and became a uh, leader in in Japanese politics, establishing the Sports and Peace Party, which was a party that wanted to bring athletes and people together, I guess, to promote world peace and, and, and happiness in Japan. He became a counselor on his first shot. And he took it as very seriously. It was a duty that he really relished and really cherished quite a bit. Um, even uh, negotiating for the release of, well, helping to negotiate the release of those Japanese uh, journalists and tourists in the during the Baghdad war. So that was something that, you know, obviously his influence was pretty great globally to be able to do that. He parlayed that into a political career. Um, he was the only pro wrestler to be elected to the Japanese uh, Diet and did it twice. And was very respected, you know, it wasn't like they said, oh, here's this wrestler guy who just thinks he's somebody and, you know, he's part of this. He actually made positive changes. He had a positive effect on his time in Japanese politics. So uh, he has lived a well-rounded life. He has just been so influential in the world of professional wrestling uh, as far as his style, you know, Japanese strong style and King of the Road style came directly from his attitudes on what he thought pro wrestling should be. Uh, his training has led us with all of the other greats in 
uh, pro wrestling has given us the greats like Masawa and and uh, the great Muda and other pro wrestlers who have definitely had their influence. Uh, Tenzan, uh, list could go on and on and on. I could rattle off probably ten more Japanese pro wrestlers, and uh, they all had some type of influence underneath the great Antonio Inoki. So he will definitely be missed RIP to him. And um, you should check out his matches and not just the match that Bill Burr commentates over him between him and the great Antonio, which is hilarious in its own right, but just go back and just check out Antonio Inoki in uh, in a general sense on uh, YouTube and other places. You will be very, very happy that you did. A real legend has passed. All right, well, hey, that is a great place for me to end the show today. Thanks for tuning in on a rather late edition of the Heal and Face podcast, a podcast dedicated to news, information, and commentary on the world of professional wrestling. Thanks for joining me on the conversation today. Had some comments on the heel and face side we'll be getting to as soon as the show is over. But hey, I appreciate you guys being here. Uh, check me out every Sunday at 10 o'clock-ish if I don't wake up uh, late or whatever, and I'll have the show ready for you. So I appreciate your time. Thanks for joining me on the Heel and Face podcast, podcast dedicated to news, information, and commentary on the world of professional wrestling. It's me, the big old Stevie C, saying see you for now, and as always... Peace.